It was one of those things that I just think every female should do. It shouldn't be expensive. There shouldn't be barriers. It should be something that is almost mandatory. These are the things that women need to understand so they can just better understand their bodies and be a bit more compassionate with themselves. That's Sarah Kelly and Michelle Hone, female scientists and co-founders of supplements company Horology, the science of her. They're on a mission to revolutionize the supplement industry with high quality, evidence-based supplements specifically tailored to the needs of women. And in today's episode of Your Truth Shared, we're speaking about the taboos around women's health, what it takes to launch a successful product, and why it always takes longer than you expect. Tune in to find out more. I'm Fanola Howard, intuitive marketer, your host and founder of How Great Marketing Works. I believe that every business has a story to tell because that's how the market decides whether to buy or not. And your story has to resonate with who you are and with the people you want to serve. And this podcast is about helping you reach the market in a way that feels right to you. So if you're an entrepreneur with a dream you want to make real, then this is the podcast for you because great marketing is your truth shared. We're speaking a lot about women's health these days. Yes, we've seen the rise of the discussion around menopause and what that means for women, but there are more and more conversations about women's health. And this idea that these two lovely guests uh, planted in my head, which was this idea of women's health, is that we are not we men, we are women. And therefore, our physiology and our nature needs to be treated in a slightly different way and needs to be celebrated in a different way. And that, I hope, sets the scene for you for this conversation with the wonderful Sarah Kelly and Michelle Hone. Welcome, guys. Thank you, Fanola. No. Thanks so much for having me. So delighted to have you here. We're going to talk today about a few things. One of the things we're going to talk about is the journey that you've taken because you came together, passionate women, passionate scientists about this area of women's health. And you decided to create this new uh, supplement business, this new range of supplements that are designed specifically for women. And, and I love the fact that they're designed by women, for women, really embracing this idea of our physiology being different, you know, and needs to be taken care of. And that brand is Horology, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But let's first kind of set the scene for who you are as people, because you actually came together from very strong careers separately. And I'd love to explore that first, if that's okay. And I kind of, when you guys tell the story, I often think that it was, uh, you were meant to come together to do this. How do you feel when I say that to you? I just feel like that's actually so true. There were so many moments along the way that we were like, wow, this is just total serendipity. This is meant to happen. So I totally agree with you on that one. Yeah, beautiful. Okay, so let's start. Let's start. Michelle, tell us your story because you guys actually overlapped in in your education. In like, There were so many moments where you overlapped. Uh, but perhaps you might set the scene first, Michelle, on your story. And then we'll go to Sarah to tell her, tell us her story. Yeah, so my journey and my career, I suppose, our education started with uh, sports science and health in DCU. 
think it was 2009. Uh, that was my undergraduate. And then I very quickly went straight into a PhD after that. And during my PhD and probably during sports science as well, actually, Sarah, Sarah would have been a lecturer in DCU and the chair of our program. So when I went into my PhD, I suppose just to kind of give you an overview, when you do a PhD, you become really knowledgeable and very specific to a certain topic and you can get pigeonholed in that topic. And mine was to do with, I won't even, I actually feel like I have PTSD. I can't even remember the title of my PhD. <laughs> it was something to do with protein and elderly populations and uh, recovery from exercise. But as a result, you get very pigeonholed in this area. And I was mindful that when I finished my PhD, I wanted to be well-versed in all topics of nutritional science. So I set up a Instagram page called The Fit Clinic and it was never meant to be a business. It was only ever meant to be kind of like a push for me to educate myself and therefore to educate other people. But take a moment, take a moment, because I love this story. I love that because you laugh every time you say the Fit Clinic was just an Instagram account and was never meant to be a business. And it has turned into an incredibly successful business. Yeah. So it was, it's nice because it's just totally been organic, which is lovely. Um, but basically what happened was I was taking these research papers, which are obviously difficult for most people to understand and to read and making them into these like pictures, into infographics that were really easy to understand. And after a couple of months, people were messaging me being like, oh, like we write me a nutrition plan. And I was like, oh God, no, like that's definitely not what this was not a profitable business or anything like that. Like I wouldn't normally, I don't think I was never entrepreneurial. My parents were both employed. So as a result, I'd never really had that entrepreneurial streak, whereas my husband would. And he was like, just go for it. So I remember I stayed up one night until six o'clock in the morning, writing these, like designing these pre-consultation forms. And I sent them on to my first client, like mad. <laughs> so wow. mad. Wow. And then it just literally just grew from there, which is crazy. So, And were you doing that business? Were you doing that business while you were doing your PhD, while you're finishing your PhD? What was? I probably set the fake clinic up. So a PhD is typically four years. And I started the fake clinic probably like six months into my first year of my PhD. So it was a busy couple of years, but yeah, we, we got it done. Um, so yeah, it's, it's amazing because it's now grown to like a team of, of 10 um, other nutritionists and our manager and our shop manager. So yeah, it's, it's great. It's amazing. Yeah. Bravo. Let's jump to Sarah. So what I also love about this it serendipitous relationship is that you were her lec were you her lecturer or lecturing at the same time? I've definitely sat it so I should yeah. one of your lectures at least. <laughs> yeah, I know. It makes me feel very old. Um, I so likewise um I did my undergrad in sports science and health and then I did my master's and PhD in clinical exercise physiology. And I sort of did a stint in a number of institutions, so Waterford IT and IT Carlo. I was lecturing there for a couple of years before my dream job, my position um, as head of sports science and health in DCU became available. So I ended up back in DCU as chair of that program. And that's when Michelle was finishing. You were towards the end, I'd say in your last year, perhaps, Michelle, were you? Yeah. I think at that stage of your PhD and it was after she finished her PhD, actually, we were looking for someone to cover some exercise physiology lectures. 
So I knew Michelle, we'd crossed paths before. We had, you know, conversations at this stage. And I think the fit clinic was just obviously taken off. But um, I was very aware of her. I also would have known her supervisor. So I knew that she was an excellent researcher. I knew she'd be an excellent teacher. So I took her on board um, to take, I think, a semester or two of those lectures. So we kind of had, you know, I we, there was a mutual respect there. Um, and I, I've, I've always followed the, like the fit clinic. So once if there were, a lot of people would come to me at different stages asking for advice or recommendations about, you know, where to get information with regards to nutrition and weight loss, nutrition and fertility, pregnancy, hormone health, anything like that. So Michelle was always my go-to. So I always trusted her because I always, always said anything that Michelle posts or anything that Michelle puts up there, I know and I believe that it will be, you know, founded in hard, solid science. Everything is evidence-based. And likewise, actually, with her shop, you know, when people look for, you know, where should I, what fish oils should I buy? I used to just say, if they're listed in the Fit Clinic, because I always knew the Fit Clinic wasn't about making money as a supplement shop, but I always knew that anything that she had listed there, I knew it, it would be well uh, researched. That's kind of, so she was always my kind of safe person to recommend, which is very difficult, you know, on Instagram and on social media these days. So there isn't too many that I would say that with such confidence. So I suppose we always followed each other's. I also think you have this this viewpoint in common. I think you possibly uh, recognized a similar, uh, a kindred spirit, as we would say, in that kind of making this knowledge more accessible, that belief in in high quality um, in anything that you do, that it's evidence-based, there's high quality. I get that from all of our conversations. I, I think, yeah, yeah. because... I'm just flagging it because you're <laughs> saying so many wonderful things about Michelle. I kind of want to reflect it back to you too. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think both of us knew that neither of us would do, well, neither of us first starters could sell anything or promote anything that we didn't 100% know would work or know that it's true, that it's, you know, that it's evidence-based. And even from a female perspective, I know we've had this conversation with you before, Fanola, but with regard to research, like whenever I was doing my master's, I, it was the first time that I was recruiting, I recruited females for my master's, which is really unusual. So you tend to be discouraged from doing that because you have to, you have to work around the female cycle. So when I was recruiting for recruiting, you know, my participants, I literally had to have, I had a start on the wall and I remember like the lads used to laugh they used to be like because it was I did it by hand it was nothing it was very like I you know drew the days of the month and everything and I had a big red marker marker we called it the period planner and all the lads in the office you could see this big chart and they used to laugh and I was there basically okay Mary can come in at the start of the month because I had to time when they visited so it slowed down my research massively because I couldn't just bang them all out you know we do a week or two of research or of data collection I had to plan it around their cycles so that was the first time I was the only person I ever remember doing that in the lab. Wow. And it was, that's when I kind of, I realized, yeah, everyone, we always just recruited, you know, young lads kind of from, you know, athletes or people that were willing to do some of the exercise tests or kind of come in and kind of volunteer their time. But they were always lads. And it meant that you could sort of bang out all of the data collection in a short, you know, space of time. Whereas mine dragged out for a really long time because if you missed them one month, you had to wait four weeks before you could get them again. 
So that's that really powerful. My... But Sarah, that strikes me um, in previous conversations that we've had that women are not just we men. That I mean, that's that's you putting that into practice. Uh, I'm sure I've had conversations with doctors before about how uh, so much of research and medical research is not done on women because of this very reason. So like, I'm heartened that you did that, even though it was probably incredibly inconvenient. It was. And I actually didn't even realize at the time that I was doing, you know, I didn't. Now I look back and I'm actually really proud to be able to say that. But yeah. I didn't even get it at the time myself. I didn't even get that. I'd never seen anyone else do anything like that, you know, in the lab before or talk about it. You know, I didn't. And even the way I did, I spoke real freely or you know, the period plan or the period chart. Like I didn't even get that that was kind of the first time someone was even speaking like that kind of in in the labs. Yeah. And we need more of it. You then went on. So what happened then? Okay, tell me the next stage. Share with us. So, so then with my PhD, I actually worked with people with chronic disease. So a lot of them were people who had had a previous cardiovascular event. So they were all post-menopause. So it kind of didn't come into play. So I was able to recruit male and female for that um, project. But I suppose it was then... Um, I suppose jumping on. So I was with, um, I was lecturing in DCU. That's where Michelle and I, again, would have crossed paths. And then I left DCU to set up a company in 2019. So I was pregnant with my third child. And with that, so I'm sort of glossing over that a little bit, but with that, I actually organized a podcast and I did a series and what I found, I just kept getting drawn. Uh, and I, the lads sort of did point out, there's a bit of a theme here. I kept going back each week or each um, guest. It tended to focus on female taboo subjects. And I didn't sort of, I didn't plan that, but that's exactly like how it played out. You know, I had a pelvic health specialist, I had a gut health specialist. And again, it all sort of came back to females and that Michelle was one of my guests. So she was, you know, one of the first people that I thought of asking and it was actually during that as well, we had a you know, really good conversation on and off air about the, um, about women and about all. And again, Michelle will probably give you a better explanation of what she sees in her clinic. But there's just so much that women put up with and so much that women endure, you know, from everything, like even with regard to the pelvic floor conversation. And that was probably what kick-started things for me. Like I was pregnant with my second baby before I realized there was such a thing as pelvic floor therapy. And I'm an exercise physiologist and I didn't know that. And I remember being like, hold on, there's a thing that, are we supposed to do it? Or it's a therapy? Are we, you know, do you have to have an issue to do it? Is it, you know, what is this? And I remember um, booking in to have what they call like an MOT or a a kind of just, just to check that everything is okay. And loads of my friends kind of were like, oh, are you having issues? And I was like, well, not really. Like, not that I'm aware of, but I think it's really important to make sure that I don't. So during my pregnancy, I went and had, you know, a, a pelvic um, floor assessment and a pelvic health assessment. And the information that I got, I remember leaving and I remember my notes on my phone, like I had filled my notes and I remember taking it all down and I remember leaving and there was a number of different females in my life that I literally shared the information with straight away because I was like, we all need to know this. This is so important. But I had to pay and I can't remember, I think it was 120 euro and I paid that and to me that was important and I 
I remember speaking to other people who were pregnant at the time and they were like, 120 euro, I don't really have any issues. I leave it until I have, until there is an issue. And then afterwards, I remember going back, you know, they had told me, they advised me to come back 68 weeks, you know, postpartum and I went back. And again, every single time that I went, and it was never something, you know, very alarming that spurred me to go. It was just something that I realized was really important. And it was really important to get my pelvic floor into a really good position for down the line. So even I remember someone said, you know, you might be, you might not have issues now, but if you don't look after your pelvic floor now, when you hit menopause, bang, you can get hit with symptoms then. So every single time I had a visit, it was one of those things that I just think, every female should do and every, but I mean, it shouldn't be expensive. There shouldn't be barriers. It should be something that is almost mandatory postpartum, I believe. And I think there are countries in New Zealand and France, it might be put, you know, something that, you know, you don't get discharged from the hospital after having a baby until you have something like eight. Now, maybe that's, I don't know if that's a tall tale, but it's a good one. I think it should be a fact, you know, I just always remember speaking to Helen Keeble about that. I'm being so frustrated about the lack of information. And I actually met Helen Keeble, who's an excellent pelvic health physio in the gym when I was pregnant. And I, once I found out what she did, I literally honed in on her and I had so many questions for her. And I remember she told me stuff that I was like, I never knew that. And I, but I just was like, I was so shocked with my background that I hadn't ever even heard anything about it. And anyway, long story short, I just remember saying to her, but why, like, and we were in the gym and I sort of said, but why don't the coaches know that? Like, why don't people know this? And she said, it usually takes about 20 years for the information to make it from a research paper to the gym floor or into, um, basically. Yeah, and, and again, you probably find that, Michelle. It's just so common across all of women's health yeah. issues. And it's really interesting that you bring yeah. the pelvic floor because it's going to be a future episode on this podcast yeah. oh, because no, we're not edgy as women. And I'm, I'm 54 and I know I don't know enough. And that's, yeah. and one of the conversations, and I think Michelle, you would bear this out as well, is that, because I remember you saying this, this is the stuff we need to be teaching girls in schools. Like we need to have more information. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much misinformation. There's women who are trying to get pregnant and they don't even know whether they're ovulating or not. They don't know what ovulation is. They think, like, the only thing that we were told in school, remember that Mean Girls movie? It was like, don't have sex because you will get pregnant and die. (laughs) We're taught, the minute you have sex, you'll absolutely get pregnant. And it's not that straightforward. And this is just the basics. Like, you can only get pregnant literally one day of the month. One day, when you ovulate, that egg survives for 12 to 24 hours. And that's the only day of the month you can actually get pregnant. Yes, sperm will survive for kind of five to six days within the the female body. So there is a fertile window. You can actually only get pregnant and conceive on one day. So like even just that as a basic, like how are we not teaching this in school? How are we not teaching the different kind of phases of our menstrual cycle where sometimes we feel really good, really energetic, and sometimes we might feel quite low and quite moody, quite anxious. Like these are the things that women need to understand so they can just better understand their bodies and be a bit more compassionate with themselves. But Well, what's your view on this idea of working to your cycle? You know, you you, you spoke already, Sarah, about exercising to your cycle, but what even about um, working to your cycle and, and from a scientific uh, perspective, because often this idea of working to your cycle is presented as a a Celtic goddess approach to how you live and work as opposed to a scientific approach to how you live and work. Yeah. And like, to be honest, we actually don't have, I don't feel like we have the research to draw really conclusive 
um, like black and white recommendations when it comes to our cycle. And ultimately everyone is so different. So like, yes, they're like, for the most part, a lot of people will feel quite good in that phase before the ovulation, during ovulation, like your energy is up, your mood is up. And then a lot of people will find like towards the end of their cycle, when they're due the period, they might suffer with PMS. They might be anxious. They might be tired. But then at the same time, when it comes to training, like we, there's kind of, a lot of people are kind of jumping on this wagon where they're like, okay, you like, you're going to feel amazing. You're going to hit all your PBs when you ovulate and then don't go to the gym like three days before your periods, just do nothing and chill out. When there's some people who hit PBs like the day after period, the day, three days before their period and they're not meant to be feeling good. So I don't think we're quite there with the training recommendations around just yet. Um, but then at the same time, it is good to be mindful that, a lot of people won't feel like, or some people won't feel amazing, like in that kind of later luteal phase. So if you don't feel like sticking to really nutritious foods, if you're craving chocolate, if you don't want to go to the gym, then it's it's, it's probably a good idea to be a little bit compassionate with yourself. But as I said, I don't think we have the, the black and white research just yet. No, and even just, I had a conversation with, um, she's an Olympian and she's going to the Olympics again. And she is up in arms at the moment because she is trying to decide when she should stop breastfeeding. Because the last time she went to the Olympics, it just timed with her last, especially the way the the way COVID kind of through the years, she just stopped breastfeeding. Actually, she didn't stop breastfeeding. She planned on pumping when she was away. So because it was in Japan, wasn't it? So there was, I think it was very difficult to organize that the baby could go. But I don't know if you ever remember this, Michelle, but when you stop breastfeeding, you get this sort of low grade nausea sometimes. And it's only if you just sort of probably need to be tuned into it. But like it, there's definitely whether it's a hormone dip or hormone surge or something, probably Michelle, that happens around there. But she went to the Olympics and she 100% her performance was impacted by that. And no one in all of the team of people that is with the Olympic, Irish Olympic team, like no one was able to tell her or to advise her about what she should do or warn her. So now she's worried. She's trying to time it. And she's sort of asking me questions because she's wondering, when I stop breastfeeding, when did my period come? Because she also is someone who has it in her head that if her period lands on a race day, it massively impacts her performance. Like she can just write her performance off nearly. So she's trying to time it that she will stop breastfeeding, her cycle will be back, but it won't be back and land you know, like I, men have none of these things to even consider. And there's such poor advice for her. Like no one is able, like she's asking me and she's asking me off my experience, you know, which is up three babies. I mean, it's not exactly scientific evidence, you know? So it's just the amount of things women have to factor and consider. But I'm hoping that even with this conversation, because you're even informing me even more than previous conversations I've had with you, that if we have more and more of these conversations, that it's not fixated around uh, just one stage of a woman's life, that there is this, this, this whole journey that a woman goes on at, and, and we're, we're not informed enough and we don't even know what questions to ask because we've accepted so much. This is the other big thing for me. We accept that this is normal. And it's not normal, some of this stuff. It's not necessary, some of this stuff. No, common isn't always normal. And Michelle, you have a good line you've used before. And it's, it, you talk about your period and how you go through your period and what you experience being like a barometer of your the, how you've lived almost for the previous months. I really like that concept. 
yeah so like we would consider it like your fifth vital sign so like your other vital signs would be things like your heart rate your breathing rate your blood pressure your temperature and I always think it's so strange because if you woke up in the morning and your blood pressure was really low you felt really faint or your temperature was through the roof you weren't well you go to the emergency room or the doctor and you seek help but if you consider your period your fifth vital sign and you don't get a period or you just skip a month one month and you don't your cycle ends instead of being 28 days your cycle ends up being 70 days we're just like oh yeah I skipped a period this month and I'm like no that is not (laughs) just because it's common doesn't mean that it's normal like it's not a good sign. It's like a barometer, as you said, Sarah, it's like a barometer for your health. It's like your body trying to communicate with you. And if you have a missed period, if you don't have a period at all, if you've really like painful, debilitating periods, it's like your body, like waving a red flag at you to be like, we need to do, you need to do something about this. But we just, because it's, it's quite common. We're just like, oh yeah, I missed a period or yeah, I'm in bits. I'm just going to pop a few nerve for the next few days when we really need to be investigating it that's just powerful like yeah fifth vital sign I love that I wish I had known that when I was having periods <laughs> so but like if you even look at like endometriosis like the average like the average amount of time that it takes in Ireland to diagnose endometriosis is 10 years and for anyone who has suffered with endometriosis it's it can be horrific it can be really 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 difficult, really painful, really debilitating, like massively impact your quality of life. And it takes ten year, on average 10 years to actually diagnose it. And does it need to take 10 years? If we were doing that fifth vital sign, would we know faster? I know I'm oversimplifying. No, like, so like this, this is why it's so good to have these conversations so that women, okay, maybe it's not normal for me to be having Neurofem Plus like three days of the month because I'm in so much pain or taking time off work. Like, yes, ultimately, when you get a period, your uterus is is contracting and shedding the lining of the uterus. So as a result, a lot of people will experience discomfort and a little bit of pain because of those contractions. But you shouldn't be having to take time off work or or take like significant painkillers with like codeine in them. Do you know what I mean? So it's just important to to know the difference and to know when you need to, to seek help. Yeah, because I know I used to lose a day a month from really heavy periods and painful periods. I used to go to bed. And also the other thing interesting from a hormonal perspective, because we've had this conversation, I remember the day before, sometimes sometimes my periods would have been irregular. And maybe the day before, if I wasn't conscious that my period was due, if I wasn't keeping on top of it, uh, I would have... In- incredible um, like a a mood dip or a high so something happened it would take me I would be so low and so uh uh just not disturbed but so um distraught that I was so low because I didn't know what was going on in my life that would cause me to feel like that and it was really upsetting and when I went oh that's my period tomorrow. That's what's going on. Or when the next day came, I would just relax because I thought I didn't know what was happening. And it's so overwhelming. Yeah, you're like, okay, my life is not I'm actually okay. Yeah. <laughs> I always think it's so I know that I'm due my period because I'll be, I'll just burst into tears. And my husband will be like, what's wrong? And I'd be like, nothing but everything. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with everything's wrong. <laughs> it's like literally like clockwork four days beforehand I get that dip and then I'm like oh my period's due in four days that's just 
that's just how I roll. <laughs> but also, I think uh, for that to be expressed in a way where, as I hear you both say this a lot, to to be gracious with ourselves, to give ourselves a break here that this is what's happening, instead of being something that's sneered at and laughed at, because that's how I grew up. Oh, you're on your period, are you? Like, <laughs> that's just incredible statement to make to women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think women are are not letting their partners away with that anymore. You know, like there's, it's, it's, they're not allowed to be dismissive of things mm. like that, or they're not allowed to be dismissive or, ooh, you know, periods. They're not allowed to speak like that, you know, because we have to, and I, when I think that that used to be something that was allowed where people would be like, ooh, you know, tampons or periods or anything like that, <laughs> that period. Pardon? <laughs> People not calling it a period. I'm like, it's a period. It's like, your friends, your flowers. It's not dead. Yeah. yeah. It's your period. Yeah. And yeah. When I hear women doing that, because I think women owe it to young girls coming through and teenagers, because young girls feel might feel embarrassed and dirty. But like, this is something that happens to females. So when I hear, say, women my age, being a bit like, I remember having a conversation and really encouraging someone to try a menstrual cup. And I remember her thing was like, you know, she was nearly like, she's speaking as if this thing. And I was like, you're speaking about something that happens 50% of the population. And that is the problem. If females are, are talking about periods, like they're dirty and there's something to be ashamed of and something to hide away behind closed doors and don't, you know, you have your period, just lock yourself away. I remember being really disappointed with her thinking that is such a bad message for young girls, you know, such a bad message. And we have spent our time, like I, my husband, I, I think once or twice he might have maybe made a joke or said something, but I sort of, I don't mean I cut the socks of him, but I stopped it like straight away because I'm like, you have a daughter, I said, and we don't want our sons who are going to meet girls and that they, if this is a secretive thing that they have that, you know, it's dirty and you don't want to talk about it. So I think it's really important that it is talked about so openly. And as Michelle said, you give it its correct name and it's part of life, but don't, add to the shame that women have been carrying, probably more so, Fanola, you would have noticed that, you know, more so. Oh, completely. Like, I know that, that statement of, are you in your flowers? <laughs> like, yes. It's yes, ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. The more, uh, and I do see the yeah. difference in how we speak to each other. And I, and I'm very conscious, I have a son that I'm very conscious that he's aware, uh, of what it's like to be a woman. And I talk to him about menopause so that he understands what that's like. So it is normalized that our differences are normalized and embraced. We also need to do the same for men. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. Shall we, let's, can I, I'd like to come back to how you guys came, came together to form this business. So Sarah, you started a business called Circle of Light. Talk to me about that. Circle of Light. Yeah, so we launched Circle of Light in, we launched, we went, I left DCU in 2019 and we launched in July of 2020 in the height of the pandemic. So that was, the timing obviously was was interesting and we sort of pivoted and as a result, we ended up, you know, supermarkets were still very much accessible. So we were able to get in the doors of supermarkets and talk to, once you were masked up and all of that, you were able to talk to um, 
you know, supermarket managers and stuff like that. So we, we landed, ended up getting on the shelves across all of the multiples, which was amazing. Um, and yeah, we had a really, I think it was two, like two years and we did really well. We did an amazing job with distribution. Um, there was a lot of learnings in it and I took a lot of what I have learned from Circle of Light has been amazing. I really have brought that into horology. Tell us what but, Circle um, of Light, wrap- what Circle of Life was like. Circle of Light was a range of granulated health drinks. So, the, and we had a range, but we had, we launched with six products between, there was two different types of um, product and then there was different blends. So even looking back now, that was something that we were like, is this a good idea or a bad idea? And it probably was a bad idea to launch with so many, but the way things were by the time we were able to launch because we did kind of pull back a lot with COVID. And then by the time we got launched, we kind of were like, no, we need to go with everything. So whether that was a good idea or not, it was probably quite confusing for people because we spent so much of our time explaining what our product was. And when you're sitting on a super value shelf, you're not there to explain that. So in that sense, we there was too much almost of an exponent. We were too new. So the products, even now, like there's people who are still in touch with me and, you know, looking, they really miss the product. So they were excellent products, but it was like it was kind of just a little bit ahead of its time in what there were. So like I said, there was too much explaining behind them. And we were looking for a big behavior change, a big shift, you know, for people to to embrace and to take them on a daily basis. So um, that was that was one of the difficult, one of the challenges, and one of the things that I suppose I learned. You know, you, you have to keep your message simple when it comes to marketing. You know, what's the expression if you're explaining, you're losing? Like it's just, it's too tricky. People have no attention span, so if they don't know what it is, you know, in an instance, nearly almost by looking at it, you can you the chances are you've lost them. And even, I mean, that's really good what you're saying. If they don't know what it is, just by even looking at it, do you? was there learnings that you took from that as well that you brought to Horology in terms of the brand and what you chose as the naming of it, the positioning of it, all of that? Yeah, very much so. Like the name, we were both obsessed. We're so like, we love the name Horology. So with the ology, you know, the, the science, it's a, it's for both of us with the science background, we love that we're able to capture the science part of what we do. And then the her, the, you know, the, the female so the science of her we just thought that horology it was now for some people it may not be we're probably thinking like scientists you know some people might kind of trip over it a little bit but in general we think it captures everything that we wanted um the brand to represent and also with the names like if you look at our names balance menu and zen like when we're describing our products like those words are used. So meno is self-explanatory, obviously, if you're, you have any symptoms of menopause or, men, or perimenopause. And then Zen, like Zen just came out of, like, I think that you just came, that came out of your head one day, Michelle, because you were like, you were trying to, just, we were talking about what the product does. And you were like, like everyone needs more Zen in their life. And that literally <laughs> is, so it, it, it's, it is self-explanatory. And then balance as well. Again, Michelle, it's probably something you would, you talk about a lot in turn yeah so the whole idea of balance is to bring balance to your mood your energy your hormones and your life overall because we see like so many people who are 
stressed and anxious, but they're also like exhausted at the same time. So the whole idea of balance is just to stabilize them out with their mood, their energy, as I said, their hormones. It's amazing for hormonal health. So that's that's essentially balance. So it's 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 in the name with all of the three products, yeah. which I think is really important. Yeah. And it's funny because we have a lot of people who, like Menno is basically an upgraded version of balance. It has everything that balance has. And then it has vitamin K2 for bone health and it has added herbs to help with symptoms of menopause or perimenopause. But it has all of the wonderful balancing ingredients of balance. But what's happening is there's a lot of females who are around the age that they like, you know, they're enjoying menno, but they're watching a lot of people talk about balance and they're like, hold on, you know, I'm really enjoying menno, but I want some of this balance. <laughs> so it's nearly capturing people's attention because everyone likes, you know, the, the concept that's coming through and the feedback. So it's interesting. So there's actually, that's one piece that we're working on at the moment we need to try to get that message out there to people you know if you're on menno you're not missing out on the wonderful you know the wonderful things that are the balance will give you so that's one of the things where we're we're like okay we've missed a trick here because people are getting confused with that so that all comes back to sort of figuring out our message and our in in our marketing and how we get our message out there let's talk about how the journey that you took to create these formulations because yes, they sound amazing. And I can vouch for the fact that they're amazing because I'm taking Menno <laughs> since you launched in January. And yeah, wow. They taste amazing. I feel good. And I have to share with you because I haven't shared this with you yet, which is now when I'm going on my calls on Zoom, everyone says, you're glowing, Finola. <laughs> so to be a glowing lady in menopause is really interesting. <laughs> So Amazing. cool. Thank I you. Absolutely. Fab. Yeah. So what I want to bring you back to is you, uh, you closed circle of light, Sarah and Michelle picked up yeah. the phone and said, yeah. So I suppose ultimately I have always wanted to set up, I suppose, create, um, the female health supplement range because a lot of our clients, I suppose when you're, when you're in the industry, you realize what's important. Like the ingredients are important the form of the ingredients are important, the dosage, the bioavailability, which basically means how an ingredient gets into your system and actually does what it needs to do or does what it says on, on the tin. And you realize very quickly that there's, I mean, this isn't to, to kind of put down other brands, but quality is so important. And I've seen the difference that like really good, high quality ingredients and supplements can make to a woman's, a woman's life. And the issue is that a lot of our clients would be taking, I'd be recommending multiple different things. Like they'd be rattling around with all the tubs that I'd be recommending. So I really wanted to, to have something that was a unique blend that had everything that you needed in it. But I knew that there was no way that I could do this on my own. So the first person that I thought of was Sarah, I suppose ultimately because we have that same background. And I knew like Sarah, like, you know, Sarah, like over the last couple of months of working together, she's like one of the most amazing people, like this is getting very deep, but like one of the most amazing people ever. <laughs> and as a result, like, you know, that she's like, has that integrity, has that honesty. And ultimately at the end of the day, it's about helping people. Like, yes, the, the, the benefit is paying the bills and making money. But ultimately, like when we set up Horology, when I approached Sarah, it was because I knew that she would have that same integrity and honesty that I had when it came to formulating a supplement. And it would be first and foremost to, to help women because she's so passionate about, about helping people. And um, so 
that's where it started. So I contacted Sarah. I was actually living abroad at the time. I sent her a message and I was like, because I knew she was, I thought she was still working at Surf Dub Light. And I was like, gosh, you probably never have time for like another project. But I was like, I'll just throw it out there. And she messaged back and she was like, this is so mad. I've just wound up with Circle of Light. So she just finished up maybe like the week beforehand. So we ended up staying on a call for like four and a half hours. And then by the end of it, like that's how Horology was born. So it's just mad how it all, it all came about. But I, there's a, a story, a piece that you said, which I really love, and I think it's important for people to hear it. And they, and they said, and I think you've shared some stuff about this, Sarah, as well. But you approached horology with a dream, not with a budget. Yeah. And when we spoke about this, you said, we probably did it all the wrong way, Fanola. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't think so. Because you, you approached it with a dream first, with that desire to serve, with creating something that would really make a difference to women's lives. And you figured out the budget afterwards. Yeah. Now so, that goes against, that goes against the grain of a lot of commercial approaches to business. But ultimately I would, I would suggest that when you do it in this way, when it makes sense, you will, you will come with a better product and with serving your client better, that the money will figure itself out once you, you know, pay attention to the money afterwards, but you've got to get that right product first. Yeah. And so when you guys spoke, you said it took longer than we expected because we took that view. Yeah. But I feel, but from your, te- share with us why you feel that that was worth it. I said, because ultimately we went live with three products that like, we are honestly like so, so, so proud of. Like they're unbelievable. Like <laughs> I know obviously we're biased, but they there's just nothing like that on the market. Like, so instead of going into it being like, okay, I think women will probably spend like 40 euro a month on a supplement. We were like, let's just make the Rolls Royce of a supplement. Let's put everything that we would absolutely love into it and see what the cost comes out at and then decide what our ORP is going to be. And so just to kind of like to explain to people like what it means when like when myself and Sarah like sat down and formulated it is that we like handpicked every single ingredient, the form of every ingredient that goes into the supplement, the dosage of every ingredient. We consulted um, different herbalists as well, because I wouldn't have a, a, good, a good understanding as a nutritionist of, of herbal medicine. So we consulted two of like the, the top um, herbalists in Ireland to help us with, especially with Menno, because there's a lot, it's a big herbal blend in that specific product. So we ended up with something that we can, completely wholeheartedly stand over and like me and Sarah as people like we're never going to be able to sell something that we don't believe in we're just not I just can't I can't do it like even with the fit clinic if I get approached by a company to do an unboxing or do like to work with that brand if the brand doesn't align there's no way I, I literally couldn't come on Instagram stories and try and sell something that I don't absolutely love so I think it makes it like ultimately mine and Sarah's background is in sales, but it makes it so easy to sell because we believe in it so much and we know the difference that it's like, that it is making already to women's lives and that it can make to other women's lives. So it was, it was so important. That that's the process that we took. Sorry, Fanola, I was just saying, as you said, it, it took longer than we anticipated. And it's good because even as Michelle said, like we sat down and decided exactly what was going to go into the products. But getting our hands on those ingredients 
wasn't as simple. It wasn't as black and white. And even we were dealing with manufacturers and trying to figure out, you know, how we could get this and how we'd all get them, you know, and in terms of the timing and how it was all going to line up. And we were, there was pushback from, you know, our manufacturer to say that this was too difficult to get, that this was too expensive to get, or straight up can't get that. There was a number of those events kind of happened. And Michelle and I, for a split second, kind of looked at each other, kind of were like, hold on a second, you know, that changes the game completely. As in, that means our product will not be, we can't put that that ingredient in because that ingredient won't do what it's what, what we want the ingredient to do. And we do know that the supplements industry is, like the supplements industry is a funny space. And, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of money is spent probably towards marketing and, you know, branding and all of those things, as opposed to going into making a a good product. Whereas we kind of did the opposite of what a lot of the more commercially minded businesses probably do. But we were really determined that, this this is the way we were going to go down. If we're going to go down, we're going to go down doing it this way. And this is the only way that we would entertain kind of doing it. But we both went back to, you know, the manufacturer. We said that would be a deal breaker for us. So we give them more time. And in the process, we were like, okay, we need to start looking around because we need to look elsewhere. And maybe we need to leave the country to get what we want. But after, I think maybe there was never, maybe a week at, at most kind of at, at different stages, they kind of would have come back and they had managed to kind of source the ingredient. Yes, it was a little bit more expensive. and there, But I think they were almost surprised as well that we were willing to pay the extra money to get something that worked. But now we actually have a wonderful relationship with this company because I think they now even perceive us to be different. They realize that we are in this in this game for a different reason to maybe the other people that they might be working with. They get they, they believe that we want to help people and we want to produce a product that works. So they really they sort of I, there's two things there's two things I love about this. One one and I know it's an awful thing for me to say, but one what what impressed me was that you stood up to the status quo. That as women, you stood up to the status quo and you went, no, this is a deal breaker. We're not taking this. And I think it's often, I'm, I'm being probably being unfair here, but often as women, we don't always stand up to the status quo to say, no, that's a deal breaker. I'm not having that. And that really impressed me because I remember when this was happening, because uh, we were having conversations at the time because all of this stuff affected the launch dates and stuff. And I remember being so proud and delighted that you two just went, no, this deal breaker, we're not doing this. So that's the one one lesson, one insight I have from that conversation, that we need to do more of that as business women to stick to our guns and to change the status quo. The other thing that uh, I remember this story that you shared, which was when you got the first sample and you weighed and you've held sachets in your hands and they felt lighter than what you expected. Are you happy to talk about yeah, that? So basically what happened was we we were meant to, God, we were thinking that we were going to go live in September, but there were so many, as Sarah, all those little, as Sarah said, all those little delays. And ultimately we only got our hands on the product on, what was it, like the 22nd of December. So we were like, it's fine, January launch, it's, it's all good. But we needed to get our, we needed to get our website like fully up and running and have good images. So um, Sarah drove to the manufacturer and um, brought three boxes back to her house. I drove to Sarah's house. This is all like literally three days before Christmas. I picked up the three boxes 
and brought them to the photographer. And I remember saying to Sarah, like, well, what is it like? What does the sachet feel like? Like, are they real heavy? Because in my head, I was like, there's so many like good quality ingredients. They're all at a really high dosage. Like it's probably going to be a really heavy sachet. They're going to feel weighty. And Sarah was like, eh, no, not really. And I picked them up and I opened the sachet. Like I looked at the sachet and I was like, oh my God, why are they so light? And then I realized I went home. And I looked at all the other supplements that I have in my breast. They all have maltodextrin and other fillers in them. And I remember having the conversation with our manufacturer. He was like, oh, do you want to um, bump the formulation up to five or six grams per serving? We can add maltodextrin. And I was just, we were like, straight away, we were like, no, like we don't mind it being three, 3.6 grams or like yeah, 3.8. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. makes no odds. Um, but now there was a total moment where I was like, oh my God, like, have we done something wrong? Is there not enough magnesium? Yeah, <laughs> Actually, yeah. It's because there's no fillers, there's no binders, there's no unnecessary stuff in the product. So um, thankfully it's a good, it's a good um, selling point as well. <laughs> yeah, but I, I like it's everything you need and nothing extra. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. What would you say your biggest learnings from a marketing perspective? So all these things, as you may, like you are so committed to bioavailability, which is a really, do you want to explain again what bioavailability means? Because that for me was, I had to keep asking you to explain it to me as we started working together. But yeah. talk about bioavailability and its importance. Yeah, so bioavailability is basically how an ingredient gets into your body and does what it needs to do. And the, the prime example that I would use is different forms of magnesium, for example. So if you have a magnesium oxide, basically it kind of like runs through your system and doesn't really absorb very well at all. And you're taking, you might be taking 200 milligrams of magnesium oxide, but you're not noticing the benefits because it's not actually having that physiological action in your body. Whereas if you compare that to what we put into our product, which is called magnesium uh, magnesium glycinate. It's much more bioavailable. It's much more readily able to get into your system and cause relaxation and make you feel good versus something like an oxide. So form is really, really important. And generally you'll find the the ones that have higher bioavailability are more expensive. So that's, again, that was something that we had to factor in um, when formulating the product as well. Thank you for that. The other thing that I wanted to maybe get you to talk about was you're really you've had one full month of people using the product and one full month of uh of uh numbers coming in and you sent a message going we're really we can't get over it how how it's working yeah we're blown away you want to talk about that do you want to talk about also the nature of the launch to help people who are also launching to the things that you think that you would like to share with other business women in terms of that and also let's celebrate how great congratulations on an amazing launch with an amazing product let's share what you learned I think it's good to mention as well you just asked there a minute ago Finilla, about like marketing like Sarah like we have had honestly like Sarah has been just so valuable for this whole journey because she took so many learnings from Circle of Life it is insane like we wouldn't be where we are today without without everything that Sarah learned in Circle of Light. And one thing that Sarah did, and I'm sure you won't mind me mention this, is that they probably spent a lot of money on PR companies and marketing. And 
Sarah was like, okay, before we like, why don't we just see how it goes? Like just us, we'll just launch it on Instagram, on social media to our friends, to our family and just see how it goes. Because that was a huge learning that Sarah had from Circle of Light that it didn't necessarily result in, in revenue and in sales. And so that's what we did. We just literally went live with, with no PR company, with no marketing expend whatsoever. And it was the best thing that we ever did because we've, we've proved that like ultimately we will invest in marketing down the line, but the product itself, like the the branding is just standalone, like it sells itself. And now thankfully, I suppose we always knew like, because we formulated ourselves, we knew the effect that it was going to have like physiologically on women. We knew the feedback that we were ultimately going to get, but we didn't expect to get it back so quickly, (laughs) like literally within a couple of days, there was people DMing us, messaging us, being like, oh my God, my sleep is amazing. My mood is so much better. My energy is amazing. Thankfully now, like it's five weeks live and we're starting to get the um, people haven't gone through a period. Um, so they're noticing that their PMS is down. They're just feeling so much better. They're not, again, taking time off work. They're not popping painkillers. Pain so yeah, the feedback has just been insane. Like we can't wrap our heads around it. It's amazing. And even Fanola just on that, because I think you were on you were probably on the receiving end of the that conversation whenever we were at the early stages and we, you know, you were recommended to us like straight away, like I was really skeptical or really cynical because as Michelle said, we hemorrhaged money because and we were, we hemorrhaged money on listening to people say that they could do X, Y, and Z. And what I found was, I suppose I, this was my, Circle of Light was my first kind of experience in business. So again, I'm, you know, the sort of person. So we, you know, we took people on board and they would tell me that they're going to do that. And I was like, okay, you know, they're going to do that. And then I found that I was defending their existence to the rest of the company, as opposed to what I learned very quick. And I learned this from my previous partner. He was ruthless. And if he saw that someone said that they could do something, he'd give them a chance. He might give them a second chance, but if they weren't doing it, we couldn't afford to keep them, keep paying them. Whereas I found that really like, oh, jeez, we're just, we're just going to get rid of them now. You know, like I find that. So there was a real naivety in me back then. And I found that tricky as well with, and with sales as well. Like you can't be paying someone, you know, to sell your product if they're not selling your product. Because if they're not selling your product, there's no money coming in, but you're still giving them money. So there was a lot of, in that, that kind of ruthlessness of him, I, I've, now I, it hasn't changed who I am ultimately, but I am much more careful and much more calculated. And when you were, so you were highly recommended because we were at this start and we were, you know, we were all like, oh, we want to do this. And it was all, you know, ideas and concepts and, but we needed to bring it down and make it, make horology a brand. We weren't really good at get, we couldn't get that down. And we probably weren't even making ourselves we weren't disciplined enough in sitting down and doing that. And when we did sit down to do it, we had no structure. We didn't know where to even start doing that. So when you were recommended to us, my, I went, I said to you, when you told us, you know, your price, um, straight off the bat, I was like, look, I've hemorrhaged money with people like you before. <laughs> was probably how I said it. But Nobody liked me, Sarah. Come on. <laughs> but my, straight away, my instinct was like, how, you know, how is she going to do all that she says she's going to do? You know, I just couldn't understand. And I think Michelle and I were on a call with you for, 
a very quick introduction, but very quickly, both of us were like, oh, she's, she's very good. <laughs> she's very, yeah. I actually said, she's so smart. She is yeah. so smart. You did it straight away. There was a difference. You were different, Fanola. Yeah, you really were. And what you were able to do and how you were able to pull stuff out of our heads and then bring it all together so succinctly and to make it into these really clear brand messages and what our strategy was going to be. That's where I wouldn't have that naturally. I wouldn't really, like, I, I wouldn't have that background. And, you know, I would, and Michelle, even you've never had to do that with the way, because your growth was so organic with the Fit Clinic, you never had to sit down and plan. So for that, you know, Fanola, you were the one person that we did spend money on last summer. And it was, yeah, it was so worth every penny. Thank you. But what's funny is we went into it and we were like, well, why don't we just do five sessions? Like, we're only going to need five yeah. sessions. Like, like, we know how to work this product. <laughs> You're like, eh. no, I think you might have said, can we just tell her to make the five sessions into three sessions? Oh, I think, Michelle, you might have. <laughs> <laughs> We, gen- we genuinely went into it knowing that we knew how to market the products. But then I also think that because we both have a scientific background, that doesn't always yeah. translate. So you got us to be like, to really, really hone into like, who is your customer? Like, what are they doing? How are they speaking? How are you speaking to them? What is your like brand vocabulary? And we were like, oh God, yeah. no, we need to spend more time with this woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you did, you pointed out things that we, words and bioavailability is one of them. That's a word that we use so flippantly. But you, and I remember you put, you were like, hold on, what are you saying? Like you kept pulling us back. And I know Michelle and I could be in, could do an ad or do an interview and we could ream off that word. Like, and we wouldn't even, wouldn't think twice that the listeners don't actually understand what that word means or that they can't even hear what we're saying. So like there was a lot of that where you kind of brought us down to earth, I think, and you kind of leveled and made us, make us realize that, yeah, we're not talking to each other. You took us out of our echo chamber, actually. Just about to say that, as listeners, say that, yeah, yeah. Well, we need that. You know, we need that from a marketing perspective, but also, it's. I always talk about. I mean, this is called your truth shared. It's uncovering truth because your truth is so second nature to you. You can't, you can't see it and you can't yeah. hear it because it's just yeah. second nature to you. And yeah. what you're trying to do is give your customers the language by which to understand how they can solve their pain with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's really funny because (laughs) there's a lot of negativity about marketing. And I had a conversation yesterday with somebody going, I studied marketing for 20 years and I hate it. And I'm like, well, I've studied all my life and I love it because this is what happens. People like you get to solve problems in the world because you get to communicated in a way that people can receive it. And that for me is beautiful marketing because it's marketing that helps make a difference. That's why I do what I do. Yeah. Yeah. What would you like to leave people with today? I think you asked a question there actually, you know, in terms of advice and maybe other women who are at similar stages, there's a couple of things, you know, with regard to our launch and when we were ready and something Michelle and I had to remind each each other because both of us would have a kind of perfectionist nature. I think, you know, we both would kind of be like that and would find it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even that's probably something that I've taken from the circle of light as well. 
like you can't you cannot like that will delay things so much and that's the thing I think we the mantra you know towards when it was getting to the stage is like we can't hold it back because it's not perfect like we're just going to delay ourselves too much and at the pace that things are going to move at you have to be able to make a decision and risk that it mightn't be perfect or risk that there's a little mistake in there you'll deal with that and so our mantra kind of became you know perfection in perfection is the enemy of progress so but we had to sort of keep checking each other because there has been times say michelle has been like oh but if this isn't ready or no that's not and i'm like we have to go with it like we have to let's push and just keep moving and we'll change it for the next iteration or you know we'll change it the next time we get it right so i think that was something that is but that's a really tough tough decision to make and i hear you but it's this because you also want to make it the best product that it can be so that it has legs so that the launch goes well because your feedback is good well, the so product you, we didn't scrape a, on, that was something that was no, yeah. that it, it, it was to do with like, even say, the, the like Michelle would have loved us even with regard to our first boxes, that they would be really luxurious, you know, really kind of heavy and strong and almost reusable. Whereas I know from my experience, the packaging whole thing is a whole, like it's a kind of, it's once you start going down, that kind of, and it's a whirlwind and it's really hard to get your head around it. And I think with this, we're really happy with the boxes, but we had to, that was something that Michelle would have liked to, you know, launch as a really luxurious brand straight off the cuff. And that was something that she had to kind of come to terms with. She's not going to have, you know, her dream box just yet. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting better because we, we um, were due to run out of uh, stock of one of our blends in the next probably in the next week and we had to put in our second order the other day and there was like there was something that I wanted to change with the packaging and the manufacturer came back and he's like oh it's going to take a little bit of time and I was like no just go just go <laughs> we need yeah. the order yeah. we need it so we're getting there <laughs> I'm not as you you shared this beautiful quote with me as well which is a really good lesson even to leave people with is if you're not embarrassed by your first version of your product then you launched too late yeah yeah by Reed Hoffman. I think that is actually something that always that I've kept in the back of my mind. If you're, yeah, I think that's really I take great comfort from that because yeah, mm. just and I think it takes it takes guts. I think to proceed with that, you know, if you're in any way mm. insecure or you know unsure of yourself, I think you don't really have the you don't have the guts to do something like that. So yeah, I think it don't hold yourself back and don't slow yourself down because inevitably it's not just a couple of days you end up wasting months and then it's six months mm -hmm. and then you're past half a year and then and I, like I said that's what happened you know I experienced that with Circle of Light I think I wasted so much time trying to source the perfect packaging and at the end of the day we ended up going with something that we were where we were at the start you know and it was just all of that time was wasted you know trying to be perfect I think that's a great way to leave our discussion and we're going to leave uh, links to where you can get horology and hear all about it. And I think the ladies are going to do a coupon code for us for a period of time as well so that you can try it out and uh, have glow, be glowing like me. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks a million, Fanola. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you'd like to find out more about horology, then check out 
HorologySupplements.com. That's H-E-R-O-L-O-G-Y Supplements.com. Even better, why not try their supplements? Use the coupon code YTS10 for 10% off. I know I'm glad I did. And if you'd like to support the show, please follow or subscribe on your chosen platform. It makes all the difference to the impact that I'd love this podcast to have on the world. Deeper conversations that allow us to grow, to celebrate each other's truths, and to know that there are many who are working with a greater purpose in the world. Thank you.